Hello and welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast episode 139. I'm Elle and I'm here with our reviews editor Jonathan Selsa. How are you doing? Um, feeling anxious, a little bit sleep deprived um, after watching some of the election the action sort of semi-results last night. Um, but I have coffee. It's not happening anxiety but it's happening sleep deprivation so you know I'm somewhere in between. Well done with your coffee. And I'm also here with Stephen Hill, our lovely Metal Hammer writer. How are you, Stephen? I'm all right, thanks. I've had plenty of sleep because I'm luck luckily for me, I have absolutely no empathy at all. So I don't really care about what's going on in the world. So I uh, I noticed that there was an election, but I just went to bed and slept soundly like a baby. You're an empathy vacuum, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, you know, it's lucky that I just don't care about anyone else, I suppose. Just, you know, good for me. <laughs> well, very interesting, very nihilistic. Wards off emotional vampires, at least. Of course, the election is a big deal right now. Depending on when you're listening to this, we may or may not know the outcome and what is going on in America. But if you need a distraction from that, of course, you have this podcast. And our current issue is also on shelves featuring Judas Priest on the cover we're celebrating 50 years of Judas Priest and 50 years of heavy metal. We also have in the issue interviews with Backwash, Ghost Mane, Mr. Bungle, Amaranth, Venom Prison, Greg Pajato, Devil Driver, Paul Bearer. Loads of people, really. So go and pick that up. Um, apart from the election, what actually has been happening? Quite a lot of things. Quite a lot of things. Um, I did like double live stream fun on Saturday. I think we've I all done live streams. We've all done live streams this weekend. Do you want to, should we start with Code Orange? Because we both watched that. That yeah. was on Saturday, wasn't it? Saturday yeah. live stream. Yeah. So um, this is kind of following on for anyone who doesn't know the background. Code Orange were basically the first out of the gate, weren't they really, with the live streams. They're meant to be promoting their new album and they couldn't do, so they got the massive room and did a show in that. And now they've come back to do another gig. Um, with three supports how did you find it Steve um well I, I mean I've been on record uh, as how much I love Code Orange um for some time now so this will shock nobody but I thought it was amazing I, I really liked Jesus Peace's support set was great as well uh they had Jesus Peace Year of the Knife and Machine uh, Girl Jean Girl. I nearly said Lady Baby then, but that's a completely different thing. <laughs> that's a completely different thing. Yeah, it is. Um, and uh, I thought the first two were, were pretty good, and uh, I thought Jesus Peace were great. Um, but Code Orange, I think Code Orange have described themselves as the innovators of live streaming, rather than the, because I know, obviously, Trivium, or one band, for example, who were doing it before Code Orange did it. But I don't think I've seen another band do they've done like three streams and they've done a bunch of stuff on instagram whatever and just nobody's again much like their record and their music i think no one's really doing what they're doing like each one has their very unique own individual feel to it like the last one they did um uh the the under the skin was like a kind of mtv unplugged acoustic style set which i thought was an incredibly brave thing for a hardcore band to do and this one was just some kind of audio visual sensory overload of a show it was it was fucking brilliant and i'm really glad we're getting to see lots of live code orange because 
I'm gutted that they've not been able to tour that record. And I mean, we'll probably get into the like the little minutiae of it. But overall, as a show, I thought it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I felt like I was trapped in some kind of dystopian future world. Maybe I shouldn't say dystopian because that implies it's bad. <laughs> I mean, we we are, let's face it. But they, because it was just literally like being inside a box with like six people just doing mad things to your eyeballs, wasn't it? It was called mm. Back Inside the Glass and they had all these insane projections even the cameraman was wearing white so that they could project onto him and they had these insane projections of all different colors for different songs they had costume changes there was one bit where jamie was wearing a long black trench coat and he went and knelt on one of the kind of podiums they had and the exact pose of brandon in the crow and it was literally i took a photo of it, it was literally like mimicking the crow so on the one hand, it's this kind of uncontrolled chaos. You know, he hit his head on the floor, didn't he? And just bled. And mm. on the other hand, it's very carefully stage managed. It's a really interesting balance, what they're doing, I think. Yeah, I lo- I mean, I think it's it's really cool to see a band who have that, um, I think what metal used to have, which is that, like, it's very it's very real and it's, it feels very dangerous and it feels very spontaneous, but at the same time, they're larger than life characters, you know, they've got that kind of modern hip hop swagger about them. And their kind of their reference points for, you know, like, like you mentioned the crow, they did a Pantera cover, they covered a new level as well. They did a bit of um, the riff from a new level. And I don't know, like, I, I mean, I, it's more stuff from what I've already said about Code Orange. I just feel like I've waited so, so long to see a band who do the same thing as as what sort of Slipknot did in the, the sort of latter part of the 90s who just come along and sound really fresh and really heavy and really creative. And I I don't know. I mean, if you don't, I just don't know what you want. If you don't, if you're not excited by Code Orange, I kind of think, well, I don't know what you want from heavy music because they sort of nail everything. Like they literally nailed the whole, everything they've done in the last year has been stellar. I think I've said this before, you might feel like you've seen it before, like you might feel like you saw it in the 90s, but you're a 90s guy and you still like it. it like there's lots of kind of homage type stuff going on. But what is I thought it? really well that not everybody has got right in a live stream is the feeling of movement. It felt like when they had cuts and when they had changes and when they had lights and things, it felt like everything was moving and you didn't know what's happening. Whereas some live streams I've seen, it's literally been a band standing there. And if you're not there in the room, you don't get that like, kinetic feeling so that was cool yeah and they did they there was a lot of there was some real uh, they used kind of cuts the way that it cut from camera to camera and angles and there was points where you'd see all four of them like it would do you do like split screen stuff which i know might sound a bit like you know 1980s top of the pops or whatever but like it was it was really really effective so that you could see exactly what everybody was doing and you know talking about like it i think homage is absolutely the right word like they're Code Orange don't hide their metal influences in the sort of time period from what they've been influenced by, but it's all the stuff that those bands never got a chance to do, which I find really, really exciting about them. I mean, like I say, the kind of the modern hip hop influence and the influence of kind of, I guess, more ambient electronic stuff and all of that, which you didn't really get 
from metal back in the day and you're starting to get it from code orange and they look they don't look like a timepiece to me they look like a completely cutting edge current band and that was as modern looking and contemporary looking as any any kind of live stream that i've seen from any band whatever the budget well let's throw it to jonathan now because jonathan must have had quite a different experience at obituary yeah <laughs> yeah so it wasn't it wasn't actually this weekend or the weekend before that but they, they they've been doing a series of um three three uh live streams uh so they did a rarities one this evening which i unfortunately i was otherwise engaged uh, so i couldn't watch it but um, I saw the Cause of Death one, which was the um, weekend before that. And the weekend before that, they did uh, the debut album, Sunny We Rock. And um, so I've got, yeah, it was like the completely opposite experience of you in a way. Like, it's not the most co contemporary thing in the world. But um, it's one of the absolute foundation stones of uh, the extreme metal world. And um, I've got a really personal relationship with that record because it was one of the first death metal records I ever really got. And I saw I saw obituary on the Cause of Death tour in 1990 at the Dome in London um, when I was just kind of getting to the whole kind of death metal scene. So, um, so yeah, so it's not kind of contemporary, but the way they play it now, I mean, there's such stunning musicians now that um, I don't know the sense of time just is absolutely meaningless. You're just in the moment when they play it, as you always are whenever you hear that record um but you know it's kind of it's much more doomy sounding but it's really catchy um the um the stream uh got put back by half an hour because they started playing and you couldn't hear anything it was just the sound was completely clipped so there's all these people on the um on the chat by the side of it going what the fuck's going on but um that was kind of almost worth it for the pause of death comments <laughs> While um but yeah it's just um it, it's just it just reminds me of a time in the sort of like the death metal world where like you know the excitement we had then is the excitement that you're having now yeah there's a new genre and every band is doing something very different with it um and um and you know something that's very unique to them whether it's you know them or death or you know all the other bands from that dare side or all the bands you could tell immediately I mean, and I find it hard now with modern death metal bands to go, ah, you hear a riff from a modern death metal band, and go, that riff belongs to them. But you hear Bitry or you hear Dareside, um, uh, and you can tell you can tell straight away um, which riff is riff, I mean, which riff is whose. You know, they, you know, they they all have their really unique sound, and um, so it's kind of part nostalgia. It's part living in the moment, and you know, there wasn't too much. Um, like flashy stuff that had lights going on. There was on a soundstage, had the Bitry logo, different camera angles. But everyone was just like, when it finally started, everyone was just like in just like the zone. You could tell by the comments as well and just in their, in their total happy place. And all these songs are so classic. Um, and they're so just like, you know, in your bones, you hear body bag or chopped in half. And um, yeah, just that groove that they've got. And also, you know, I love his vocals. I love the fact that Sometimes he wasn't even singing, singing vocals, or just making sounds. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, yeah. And at the time as well, you know, when I got the uh, cause of death album, I was looking at the lyrics, and, and the theme seemed to be like undergoing death as a psychedelic experience, and I really like that. That's such a Jonathan thing to say, undergoing yes. death as a psychedelic experience. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty amazing show. 
You yeah, saw the yeah. as well, didn't you, Steve? Yeah. Sorry, I, sorry Jonathan. I the excitement. Um, I watched the Bungle stream as well, um, just which was an hour before Code Orange. So I kind of watched them back to back. It was a bit like it's the closest thing to being at a festival that I've had this year because I was like, I had both live streams up and the, the sort of countdown to Code Orange one happening as I was watching Bungle. Um, so that was cool. Uh, it was really, really funny, the Mr. Bungle stream. Like, I mean, the we kind of mentioned the new album. Is it a new album? Well, we mentioned the latest release uh, last week and how good it is. It is, you know, a bunch of recordings from 1986, like a kind of updated songs from 1986. So they are thrash metal songs. You've got Scott Ian and Dave Lombardo playing in the band um, these days. But it was kind of in like a library. And when they started and Patton was dressed in a kind of um, a red cardigan and they all sat there reading a book. Um, and, there was, and it was just quiet, and then there was this kind of tinkly, tonkly music played, and they started with a cover of uh, the Mr. Rogers theme tune. You know Mr. Rogers? Won't you be my neighbour? That guy. The American <laughs> that, that I guy. actually don't know it. I've heard of Mr. Rogers, but I've never actually yeah, seen it. Yeah, guy with a horse, right? You what, sorry? The guy with a horse, right? No? Has he got a horse? I thought that was Mr. Ed or something. Yeah. Now, yeah. Mr. Rogers is, Tom Hanks just played him in a film. It's a really good film um but he's a very like nice man so he didn't really and they did this kind of cover which they slightly bungled up they did it sort of as faith no more tend to do and mike Patton's projects tend to do like it was quite straight but there was a couple of occasions where he they'd sort of thrash it up a little tiny bit so that was cool and then um they went into you know the majority of songs they played were songs from the 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 raging wrath of the easter bunny um demo but they also played summer breeze as covered oh. by um and in between songs they had because obviously there's no audience there it would cut to this chair and there'd be one person sat in a chair who would react to it so king bozo from the melvins was there josh homie from queens of stone age was there henry rollins was there um that one of the guys from it's always sunny in philadelphia was there as well um and they were kind of talking to the audience. At the end, they got up and they to do like an encore. And they were like, scream if you want an encore. And obviously there's no one there. So they just didn't do an encore because they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really funny. And, you know, all that material, I think, is like I sort of mentioned last week. It's a really good thrash metal record. But with the addition of Mike Patton and Mike Patton's unique vocals, that kind of takes a good thrash metal record to probably the best thrash metal record for about five years i would say it's i was really i was really impressed by that record and if you don't know it's got scott ian and dave lombardo on it so it's got thrash royalty all over it yeah, well, bringing that back to the obviously a refreshed version of their first demo awesome i saw pussifer as well that was on friday night honestly there's so many streams this weekend and that was amazing. I was really excited about it because it was at this place called Arcasanti in Arizona. And Arcasanti was this really weird project by this architect called Paolo Soleri. And he began construction on this town in 1970. And it was really futuristic. It was like a vision of the future um, with like concrete amphitheater and like weird concrete housing that was all on top of each other. And their new record, which we talked about last week, Pussifer's Existential Reckoning, is kind of quite futuristic and cold sounding and kind of 
weird and spacey. They've got like a old Fairlight synthesizer on it. So the setting was really cool because you knew it was going to be something that felt really different. And they had several setups. They had one in the amphitheater and they had one that looked like it was kind of under a big concrete arch thing. And they had another one that was just out in the desert. And it was super cool. They were kind of dressed up like their characters, like they're pretending to be special agents on this record. And um, often it was Maynard with co-vocalist Karina Round on this kind of um, scaffolding platform singing to each other, which kind of brought a bit more warmth, I think, to some of the kind of colder sounding songs. And the set list was all the new stuff. Um, and it was just a production. Like I've not seen a live stream like this that's literally a big live show recorded like it would be for a DVD. I've not seen it done the same way. And it was produced by Danny Wimmer, who produces a lot of the big US festivals. So there's obviously a lot of clout and money behind that. And they'd really put like so much time and effort into staging it. And um, they've extended it actually until Sunday the 8th of November. So if you haven't seen it, you can still catch that. And it's definitely worth watching, especially towards the ends to see the sunset over the kind of mountainous desert area while they're singing it's super cool you know they've just taken something you know the concept of streaming and just thrown all the creativity and resource at it and it looks great so yeah a good weekend of streaming i think yeah there's loads of also ingested were playing Mo uh, moonspell was supposed to play but uh, i think both them and uh cradle of filth have had to put their st streaming dates back so yeah yeah, it's all going on, just Halloween stuff. Um, Devin Townsend did a rarity set as well um, last Saturday. So, yeah, you're a sports Loads of, stuff. Loads of stuff going on. This is a good time. It might be a bit of a shit time in the outside world, but it's a good time for streaming and it's a good time for bands. So, I mean, I just kind of threw this in for news. The election's happening. I saw that Trent Reznor had kind of come out in support of Biden and I've seen a few other musicians comment. I don't know, have you guys seen anything around the internet? There's people kind of talking about the election, but Yeah, I can't believe I can't believe Nine Inch Nails has suddenly gone all political. Like <laughs> Nine Inch Nails, Springsteen, Morello suddenly found this newfound interest in politics. Bob Dylan and bloody Woody Guthrie will be doing it next. Yeah, Matt, such, such opportunists, right? We were talking last week, should bands be political? And it seems like quite a lot of bands is, are kind of being political at the moment. And we had Amy Lee being political a few months back with her video about registering to vote. So it'll be interesting to see what happens after this and kind of which bands are speaking out. And if there's any new music or anything off the back of that, we'll have yeah, to I think. think I think just takes on a weird tangent. Like so much Mel is inherently political anyway, where it's not explicitly. I think Thrash was political because it, not just, but you know, uh, um, back in the day, even it wasn't anything explicitly political, but it was definitely reaction to like you know the um, the Cold War and the fear of nuclear war and everything. So yeah, it, I always find it, it interesting to hear you talk about that because you were actually kind of around at the time. Yeah, so I might have said on the podcast before, but I had this um, I had this uh, epiphany. Uh, a while back, like, because I remember, like, the fear of nuclear war uh, in the 80s. And you know, when you had um, those movies like The Day After Tomorrow, and I can't, I'm trying to remember what the British one was, but it scared the shit out of everybody in the um, this post nuclear drama on BBC that just scared the shit out of everyone. So I remember 
every loud noise I heard, I thought was a siren going off because I'm I'm about eight years old and I'm you know or or, or twelve or something. And I'm massively paranoid like everyone else, and so you're constantly tensing, like going, "What the fuck is that? Is that is that is that the end of the world?" And the thrash riffs, those kind of taut, choppy riffs, they're they're the physical analog of you constantly tensing up, bracing for the end, and um. So, and you know, thrash is so linked to you know the threat of nuclear war that it's, it's actually a genuine physical response. That um, that the way I was, I was contenting up constantly is exactly the same as how thrash riffs are played. Yeah, I always find that super interesting, and it definitely makes me look at things in a different light. Um, in other news, the Chris Fenn versus Slipknot legal case has been settled. Ex Slipknot percussionist Chris Fenn's lawsuit against the band was voluntarily discontinued on October 29th with prejudice. So I think that means basically he can't ever refile that case. It should be sorted out now. So whatever has happened has happened behind closed doors, and that's now a chapter that can be over. But I know it's it's a weird one, isn't it? You know, we no one really knows what went on with that, mm. apart from him bringing this lawsuit. And we don't know whether there'll ever be any reconciliation in future. So I guess we just have to wait, really. Yeah, it's a funny one, that, isn't it? Because, I mean, when he left, everyone sort of went, oh, he's left, and it's obviously acrimonious. And I think we all thought, oh, well, who's going to wank the nose in Slipknot? We always <laughs> like the nose wanking, you know, always like that. And then Tortilla Man's come along, and he's taken that mantle, hasn't he? I mean, he, hasn't got, he, doesn't, he hasn't got a big enough nose to do the nose wank, but he's certainly jumps around a lot and he's become like a really cool presence in the Slipknot live show. So I feel like poor old Chris Fenn is sort of, and his, you know, his painful nose wank move has been sort of resigned to the, the dust of history in Slipknot now. And I, I, I would have loved to see I would have loved to have seen the position available advert for, for taking that role. <laughs> <laughs> Must have good technique. <laughs> Yeah, it was funny about Tortilla Man. We did a split Slipknot cover. Obviously, some of you might remember that. And we did... Um, did you write that, Steve? I did, yeah, I did. So. Um, and yeah, we did a split cover run with all the different members. And Tortilla Man was way more popular than we thought, given he'd just come out at the time. And loads of people wanted to buy a Tortilla Man cover. So uh, it's funny what can happen, what can become you know, an unlikely success in this world. Yeah. So, yeah. Because Corey's mask just looked like... It's not great, his new mask, is it? The sort of recent Corey mask. It's a slightly not... flappy mask. Yeah, not the best, I don't think. So, I mean, I'd probably rather have a... Tortilla oh. for a face. Well, I like Mick. I, Mick. Mick's the best one. He's just never changed his mask in the whole time they've been... And he's terrifying. <laughs> he really is. Yeah. ACDC have released a taster for new single Demon Fire, which is super metal. That's the follow-up to their single Shot in the Dark. And they've released this trailer for it, and it's 53 seconds. What do you think of it? Have you heard it? Uh, well, it's out next week. The whole album's out next week, isn't it? Yeah, it's out on November 13th. Right. Album. Have you heard the album? Are no. Have you? No. Uh, I might have done. I don't know if I'm allowed to say no. I don't know if I'm allowed to say if I have or not. You may have heard it. I might have heard the whole thing. Do you think it might sound like other ACDC albums? Whether I have or haven't actually heard it, and whether you have or haven't actually heard it, I think what it's going to sound like, you could put a fairly comfortable bet on what it's going to sound like. Um, Yeah, I mean, ACDC sort of sound like ACDC, don't they? And there's nothing wrong with that. 
That's, That's what you want. I know. I now know two people who don't like ACDC, and um, I just can't get my head around that. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff, you know, people's opinions that I've been having, having difficulty getting my head around it lately. Uh, but that's definitely one of them. And it's, like I said, it's, it's just like hitting your own heartbeat. I don't understand it. <laughs> well, we all have to come together in these dark times and try and settle our differences. Maybe you just have to play them some more music. Yeah, oh. but if, if ACDC doesn't get you going, I don't know. I don't know what to be honest. We also have new music coming up for December. We've got Deftones' White Pony remix album, Black Stallion, which is finally coming. And they've been talking about this since releasing White Pony. So like 20, how many years is it since White Pony? 25? 20 years. 20 this? years. I wrote the cover feature, but I've got a bad memory. Yeah, 20 yeah. years. So um, you finally got Black Stallion coming, which some of us may or may not have heard, but we couldn't possibly say. But it's got remixes from Robert Smith, Mike Shinoda, DJ Shadow and Square Pusher and more. And when I saw Robert Smith and Mike Shinoda on the list, I was so excited. I think for other people, it will be different names. And I, I think yeah, that's the thing, actually, probably I, it's such a good spread of names that you could look at that. Most people would probably be excited to hear at least one if not more of those songs. Well, it's a DJ Shadow remix of Digital Bath, which, again, can't cannot confirm nor deny whether I've heard this record yet. But a, a DJ Shadow remix in Digital Bath is sounds like something that has been dreamed up in my head. That sounds like a lovely dream to me. And it actually being reality is nice. That's exactly what I thought about Robert Smith. I thought, what a lovely dream that will become reality for me. Yeah. And yeah. I think, yeah, we'll see what that sounds like in December. But the fact that there's such a spread of people on there doing their own take on such a fantastic album can only mean good things, I think. <laughs> it's album of the week time. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I really about wanted time. a reaction, about but Steve is an empathy vacuum and Jonathan is tired, so no reaction. <laughs> Our album of the week is Solstice Fair, Endless Twilight of Codependent Love. I have to say that again, Endless Twilight of Codependent Love. I mean, yeah, that is a title. Michael Kaufman movie. It's like, it sounds like a Daniel Kaufman movie title. Yeah, it does. Well, it's the follow-up to Bergerman, which was their 2017 record, and it is their seventh album. So, yeah. wow. I mean, Jonathan, I think you have many, many thoughts and feelings on this. Do you want to kick us off? I do. I do. Yeah. I just, I just, yeah. So, my, my, you know, my first experience of Souls to Fear, uh, again, we're seeing them live. I had no idea who they were. They, was, they were playing at the much missed Purple Turtle in Camden. Uh, they're supporting Secrets of the Moon. This band come on uh, with all this kind of cowboy gear and flower. And as a long-time Phil's Nephilim fan, I'm like, I know where that's coming from. And this is a black metal crowd, and they launch into stuff from the Cold album. And everyone's, and this is just this kind of like long whoosh to their sound, like a build-up and a whoosh. And uh, every, like two-thirds two of the audience were like, had their jaws on the ground, because I don't think anyone had heard them at that point. Mm. And, and two-thirds were like, this isn't metal, uh, but it is kind of. Um, or comes comes out of there. So and, they had flower on them and looked like cowboys, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in a very Fields of Nephilim way. Yes. And there's there's that like one song which has this total Fields of Nephilim bass line. Um, and 
I was just absolutely in love with this band from that point onwards. I just never heard anything like it. And yes, so uh, the seventh album, so they've, you know, I've been aware of them for the last kind of four or five albums. And yeah, they, um, you know, the mood shift, but the mood shift between songs anyway. Um, and um, and it, each seems to have its own ecosystem, but each one sounds, is, it, is an album that only Solstafir could make. And yeah, this one, it's, um, it's, it's really, I mean, they're all kind of emotionally moving, but this one, it really gets, gets to you. And, um, and, but it's like what you were saying about Code Orange, really. It's like, you know, there's loads of things that are homage, um, but this is, this is why they're so innovative. Is that being innovative isn't just like bolting on some kind of dance beat to metal or something like that. It's translating it into you know it's translating it into your own experience, and it's like it's like having your own commentary on what's gone before, and create something completely new out of it that's really tied into the personalities, and also you know the fact they come from Iceland and the landscape around them that uh, affects it. So you know, um, so you know, you know, in the past I've had kind of really gothy elements. The first track um, on this album, uh, Akeri. Akui, no idea how to pronounce it, but um, you know, towards the end, it goes through so many we different kind of. Say, actually, sorry, mm -hmm. they sing in um, Icelandic. We should say, shouldn't we, for anyone who's not familiar with yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. For the most part, there's one song in English where it's just like these lovely languid, um, thin Lizzy riffs towards the end. But 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 it, but each each song. Uh, now think think about. Um, uh, about Thin Lizzy, and it's the thing with like a lot of the classic bands like Maiden, whatever. And I think I've said this again on the podcast before, but what they do isn't rocket science, but no one else can do it. Like there's bands like um, there's bands that, that that kind of really just specifically homages to um, Thin Lizzy, and it's like yeah, you've got everything right, but you can't do that thing that Thin Lizzy do, which for me just makes me feel like everything is all right with the world, which I really need right now, by the way. Um, but in the context of um, of that song. They've totally nailed the vibe because it's part of something else as well too. It's organic. It's like it's like it's been organically transplanted and it's taken root and it's and every song is like its own kind of emotional barometer. So they start off one way, they um, you know, they, they kind of they they kind of reach their own crescendos, but you know, at their own sweet time because most songs are around ten minutes long. And so there's lots of different elements in in this new album as well um you know they, they say they've got like elements of the black metal past but you know for the first album wasn't really straightforward black metal anyway it was kind of more punked up kind of with black metal elements but it's much rougher they've got like weird like lounge jazz elements in there that all just seem to fit into their vibe and there's and there's such a sensitivity to the way they play and it's so expansive and you know there's not many, I mean, there are bands that sing in their own native tongue, but there's not that many bands that can have you sort of almost on the verge of tears um, in a language you don't understand. They are um, really emotional in that way. The way they do it is so nuanced. And I really agree with what you're saying about the diversity of styles. And when I was listening to this record, I was talking to you at the same time on Messenger and you said, wait until you get to the Smoky Jazz Lounge song. And I was just like, what? What are you talking about? And it is really cool when you get there and you just think, wow, they can do this as well. Yeah, Ulfa, I think is the is that yeah. the or is it the smoky jazz song? 
you're the one who needs to pronounce all the names, so I'll just leave it to yeah, you. I, 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 Icelandic is the hardest language in the world. <laughs> Steve, what was your take on it? Um, I, yeah, I really like it. I mean, I wasn't at the there at the beginning like Jonathan was at the Purple Turtle. In fact, I have to thank Jonathan for um, sending me to review them when I didn't really know anything about them in 2015. It was after Otter, which was their 2014 album came out and I'd seen a lot of chat about how great it was and I think it did pretty well in a in the hammer end of year list that year but it was just for whatever reason something that I didn't get around to listening to and then Jonathan you were like do you want to go and review this band I know mm-hmm. it's not necessarily the sort of thing that you would in, normally listen to and I was like oh yeah well you know I, I will and I listened to Otter in the build-up to that and I was just like and then seeing it live as well I think they played it in full then and then even more so and again jonathan you sent me to um iceland to the festival einsterflug einsterflug yeah and they they which, 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 I should, which explain is icelandic for flying bollocks right because because it, it's, set, it's set on a lake in a town called nestutskather nestutskather and um and people have a habit of just like um jumping themselves in the lake naked um uh, that's why it's called Flying Bollocks Festival. It's a really like unbelievable, beautiful, like a really incredible experience to see yeah. those bands in that setting and particularly to see them in that setting. I think like all the things you said about it, it not being rocket science, what they do, I think one of the things that m- lots of modern bands, whether they be metal bands or whatever, I think a, a very, very clear sense of their own unique identity is an incredibly it appears to be because we don't see it as much as I would like is a very, very difficult thing to pull off. And although you can pick kind of, you know, Icelandic folk music and more kind of ethereal Gothic um, influences. And then obviously, yes, the influence of Finn Lizzie being a massive one, but also, I mean, the last riff on uh, the final song, which is Ulfa, I think is how you pronounce it. has got kind of COC corrosion conformity, vibes all over it but in this prism of this really like you say very delicate very beautiful ethereal um soundscape and those aren't things that are unique to music or popular music but they are unique to be able to meld them together to be able Mm. to congeal those things together to, to to make them into a sort of a cohesive idea cohesive unit a sound that like i i don't think i know any other bands that have even really attempted to kind of meld those three things and it doesn't feel like they've sat down and gone oh we all like thin lizzy but we're from iceland so let's sing in our let's sit let's do thin lizzy songs that sing in icelandic everything they do to me feels incredibly organic like yeah. it really feel like it's been thought about this album just sort of it kind of, it drifts out the speed. I mean, even when it's being heavy, it's kind of um, effortlessly heavy. There's yeah. a real kind of effortless, um, unspoken sort of connection between these musicians and the sort of when you mix it all together, the pie you get, they're just very, very unique. And I mean, they might not sound it from what we're saying. Oh, you know, kind of black metal gothic stuff you know folk metal and thin lizzy riffs that might not 
necessarily sound like the most unique thing, but I can't, I genuinely don't think I can think of many bands who sound anything like this. And that's a yeah. massive thing. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the word prism, I think, is really um, key. You know, it's like something that takes a single source of light and then just mm. splits into this kaleidoscope. Mm. And that's really what they, you know, and that's really what they do. And there's a sense of like having drifted beyond the horizon and you don't really know the way back. And it's such like a personally resonant, um, you know, feeling. And it's, but it's also a communal feeling. And I saw, I saw them, I've seen them a few times in, in, in Iceland and in, and, um, Eisnerflug. And remember there was, they were doing a series of three gigs and they did a, they did an Otter show. They did a the rarity show and they did like a normal show, but the but seeing them play in their hometown and it's been close to this in, at certain gigs in in the UK as well too, but it was genuinely like a, like I won't say it's about many gigs, but it was genuinely one of those gigs that really felt like a spiritual experience, like you're out of your body, um, you know, and they they've got this weird mix of like looking like total rock stars. I mean, every picture you do of the singer Addy, Addy. Um, you know, it just you're always going to catch him in a rock. You know, he's a kind of this tall, stick thin uh, creature in a cowboy hat with a, with, a, with an amazing beard, and just like they look like rock and roll stars, but there's a real kind of vulnerability to them at the same time, which which, which seems wouldn't, wouldn't normally go go hand in hand. Uh, but the way they do that, it's just you know, and it's all like you know from deeply personal experience. You know, the, a lot of times when they play live. They talk about, um, you know, me, you know, sort of mental health issues on stage, and and so it, it's really stuff that's kind of in their blood. And you know, the thin Lizzy aspects and the metal elements, you know, when they're so in your blood, you don't have to be self-consciously referencing them; they'll just come out. And um, and it's just part of what your vision is anyway. And you know, they've been together for like twenty years. And it's developed over time, and um, and yeah, and this record feels like really very much the kind of culmination of it. Um, and it, it's diverse, but it's still like you know, it's you, its own unique thing. But but each song has it, like I said, has it has its own internal weather system. Like it just feels the way they develop and they they kind of reach crescendo, and it's not your typical quiet, loud dynamic that lo lots of post rock bands do. It's just it's the dynamics are just much more fluid and um and they'll take and they take your, your breath away every time i always picture them wearing cowboy hats and standing in the snow and i know they've got pictures of them doing that but i also think is that the music just planting that in my mind <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah but, but that's what their pictures often look like and also that's just 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 the nature I, but also you know if you go to iceland you know the um the landscape itself is consciousness altering the scale of it um and they might not be aware of it being notes themselves but there is that element of that almost like consciousness altering and appealing to elements that are kind of beyond your you know beyond your mental kin um and and just feeling the gap between the end of you and the you know and what you're, what you're kind of appealing to appealing to that it, i find is, is just really just it, it resonates it really strikes a really deeply human personal chord as much as it's as much you know there's elements of landscape bound in with um you know kind of personal testimony uh, as well and it's got quite a unique voice as well Addy. it's mm. kind of 
really nice, really good raspy voice. That's so not technically brilliant, but it really gets something across. Well, go listen to that. It's out on Friday. That is Solstice Fear, Endless Twilight of Codependent Love. And as our reviews editor, Jonathan, what else is coming out this Friday that sh- people should be aware of? What are your picks? Uh, well, my main pick on, for this Friday, and it's something actually I, I think I, I um, gave Steve to review, uh, which is uh, Shackles. Oh, yeah. Uh, an Australian band called, uh, uh, some kind of a mini album called H- Hatred's Reservoir um just it's just like being it's kind of hardcore punk it's just in a very australian way belligerent no fucks given way just um being driven backwards and then reversed over again and then back forwards again so it's got it's it's kind of like the, there's a there's a kind of a um like a genre of metal uh from australia called war metal which is basically bands like destroyer 666 which is just this kind of black thrash but just absolutely just rampaging it all over you and this is like a kind of a more hardcore version of that so um my other big one is gamana uh for bundit which is um like a like a sort of a in the same vein as like vodruno and hylon but a bit more they use, use a bit more electronics um uh and the album's called for bundit and they've been going for 25 years i think and it's a really interesting mix of just like um yeah sort of nordic nordic folk and modern electronica but with this kind of dark underbelly to it We're, again with an incredible female female singer um <coughs> all the other stuff i haven't really spent a lot of time with well, um stuff out this friday anyway uh so go and get into it garmana we should probably spell is g-a-r-m-a-r-n-a that's quite a hard one to spell and hatred. Oh, shackles was the other one. Hopefully, you can spell that. And I also want to give a shout out to Ventena and their album Hollow Storm, which are yeah, that, record, that was really good. I heard of it. I just want to back you up on that shackles record, by the way, Jonathan, which is fucking excellent. Absolutely fucking excellent. Like proper. It's like the the middle ground between kind of blackened death metal and power violence, and it is. Yeah. Just it's a really, really horrible sounding record. I, yeah, love so it. I love it when bands are just, you know, kind of ruthlessly nihilistically <laughs> oppressive. And that record is as loud and horrible as pretty much anything that you'll hear this year. It's really, really fucking good. Yeah, it's a bit like it's a bit like really stubborn gristle in a food processor. Yeah. <laughs> just the right thing for your empathy vacuum steve and that, that last one i mentioned was ventana hollow storm they're a british band who do kind of industrial slash rock stuff and they're really cool too so check them out shall we do some reader questions yep go on in go on then shall i read the first one yeah why not <laughs> why not hey it's from david inglis and he asks following trivium's deep cut stream do you think that is a market for deep cut tours what acts would you personally like to see on such a tour? Deep cuts, guys. Who do you want to see? Ooh. Well, I tell you what. I've just done. Um, I've just done uh, for uh, for the the Metal Hammer website the 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 worst to best of Mastodon albums. So I spent the last couple of days doing the entire Mastodon back catalogue, and I was like, "There's so many songs." Having seen Mastodon on pretty much every single tour they've done since the Leviathan era, um, there still feels like a lot of stuff that I've either never seen them play or I haven't seen them play for a very, very long time. So I would 
absolutely love to see a Mastodon deep cut set, particularly full of remission era stuff, which they sort of, you know, they do March of the Fire Ants and they do um, Mother Puncher a fair bit from remission, but they don't really do much else from that album. So I would definitely like to hear that. I mean, stuff like Where Strides of Behemoth. Ooh, yeah. So Mastodon would be, you asked me this very second, Mastodon would be up there, right up there. I agree with you, actually. Having just done a massive feature on Mastodon and their rarities record, um, that's actually in the current issue, out now, Jews Priest on the cover. Uh, I listened to the whole rarities record and got really into all of those songs and chatted to them about the stories behind them and what they remember of recording them and what they mean to them. And you forget how many records Mastodon have had and you forget how intricate and complex some of the songs are and they've just had an amazing career so i would totally back you on that medium rarities that's the name of their record because obviously it's hilarious pun yeah (laughs) jonathan uh i don't know i mean i was thinking like you know the most pointless one would be acdc (laughs) (laughs) they never play that anymore do they get out on yeah um i don't know like I, i mean i I've seen like Enslaved did a really great rarity set. You know, um, they've got like you know, there's a lot of amazing stuff in their back catalogue. I'm looking forward uh, to hearing Orange Goblin play all the old sort of more trippy psychedelic stuff. That's going to be amazing. Mm, that's cool. Um, I, you know, I'd like to see Watain do a lot of songs that aren't normally on their live sets, uh, especially you know, kind of from the early days. Um, as not, I can't. Honestly, I, I've I've had very little time to actually think about this one, so I'm just going to just put that out there. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of the bands I really like, uh, you know, Eamon Ra or something, but they they're kind of all on the same kind of vein. Um, Deep cuts is quite a cool thing to have because people often do buy request shows, but often the requests are the hits. So it's kind of nice if you have something that's like either deep cuts or like by request deep cuts because it's specifically going to be like the weirdest stuff then the lesser played stuff well metallica deep cuts would be great right because mm. i mean i think like a lot of us listening or certainly on this podcast definitely would have seen metallica a lot and, and we've seen by request as well which is yeah. not deep cuts it's by request yeah and by request i mean that's what kind of made me think that because people were still voting for fucking enter sandman yeah it's like well they're going to play that anyway aren't they so you might as well vote for something else they're always going to play sad but true they're always going to play nothing else matters like you might as well vote for something else and people didn't but to say to go and see metallica knowing that they like weren't going to play any of their big 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 songs and they were going to dive right back into like the you know the the unheard gems from that sort of first run of five six records would be amazing i think cool steve do you want to do the next question yeah why not why bloody not um this is a question from joe longstaff it says has there has there ever been a band who you've loved musically but you've had a problem with how they act personally with fans or other musicians i've got to say before anyone answers this don't say anything that's going to make me have to edit this podcast be very (laughs) careful what you say Danzig, right? He comes across like just be careful. A, well, just a a, I was going to say just a bit of a goon, just a bit of a like sort of 
you know, I mean, I saw when he, he played Download in 2011, I want to say, and he just kept swearing at the sound monitor guy and he like, chucked a sound monitor over the sound guy and he just spent most of the gig like swearing at him and stuff. And I was a bit like, you're paying more attention to this sound guy than you are to the crowd. So come on, mate. And everyone's sort of seen videos of Danzig, you know, acting up, if you like. So, uh, you know, playing up and being a bit... So, I've, and, you know, we've all heard those stories about Danzig or seen him being punched in the face by someone for whatever reason. And he just comes across as just a sort of grumpy little man, really. But I love his music. I think it's all right to be a grumpy little man. It's not the end of the world, but, you know, yeah, Danzig. Yeah, yeah. also, everyone loves the picture of him going out to get cat food as well. I mean, where would we be without that? <laughs> yeah, nowhere. Society would crumble. Now, I mean, I have a record that's so not metal at all, but I absolutely love. Uh, um, and I've totally forgotten it now because because I'm tired. Well, we can cut this bit out. Uh, but I tell you who, um, uh, like I really like Nails, but um, they have a they have a habit of getting into spats. Oh yeah, yeah. They, 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 you know, um, so they're they're, they're pretty. It, they don't come across as like the nicest guys in the world but um sometimes i've got to say especially in the metal world sometimes assholes make great music sometimes it's 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 not in spite of them being assholes it's um because it's just, they're it's, assholes it's, you know it's, you know sometimes like there's gigs especially like a black metal gig and that you know when there's a genuine friction in the air it's really exciting and i think this is one thing that i think we've we've kind of lost a little bit is that real genuine sense of um, confrontation that is that just really puts all your hairs on end? Um, but but you know sometimes it's like some I've been to a few gigs where it's kind of felt genuinely dangerous and you don't know what's going to happen next. And mm-hmm. I kind of miss that a little bit to be honest. It's just um, it's just not in our um, lexicon anymore. It's kind of that old question, isn't it? Has rock got too safe or has metal got too safe? Well, I've picked one that's not very Metal Hammer, but it's Jared Leto because he literally has a 30 Seconds to Mars camp where people have to dress him yeah, up yeah. and worship him. It's called but Camp. Do you like the music? Um, I used to think it was all right, like not setting the world on fire, but like decent kind of radio rock that you'd go, yeah, it's kind of all right. But okay. um, what's that? Fucking hell, his music makes me want to set the world on fire. I can't believe it. Like, I think I think Jared Leto comes across as an absolute prick in everything to do with 30 Seconds to Mars, but I'd still prefer him being a prick than listening to his records, to be honest with you. I kind of thought they were okay, but, you know, when he was kind of at his peak, I was working at Kerrang! magazine, so we did used to do quite a lot with him. And um, I thought, you know, it's well produced. He's got a lot of, like, again, like money and resource behind him. He knows what he's doing. You can't, even if you don't love it, you can't, like particularly say it's shit or anything you know mm. it's it's decent for what he was doing but I kind of admire and also think it's terrible that you you can have a camp where you just get people to dress in white and worship you I mean I guess on the one end of it fair play and on the other end of it really <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm only on I'm only on one end of that I'm just like I'm just on pilly on the really end of that yeah I think it's a weird thing. I mean, it sort of goes back to what we were talking about last week with political musicians and political ideas and stuff. And should people say this and that? And yeah, I think if you're getting your kind of, if you're getting your any kind of 
you think you're going to get some sort of moral backbone from the music industry, I think you're grossly overestimating the sort of people who were making music in the first place. You should probably just try and enjoy their music. And if you can find someone that you like, then consider that a bonus. I mean, just today, people have been ranting on about Johnny Rotten, John John Lydon. I mean, I don't really know. Like, are you? Or you're really surprised? Like, what's the fucking thing to moan about? Oh, the bloke who is in a band with that junkie murderer is wearing a hat that you don't like. Fucking hell. <laughs> Like, there's always going to be controversy. And yeah, that's just yeah. the thing. That's life. Yeah, like one of my favorite like, and most, you know, and you can hear actually elements of this in Solstice Fear actually, just in in terms of spirit. But one of my favorite, like, very non-metal records is Astral Weeks by Van Morrison. It's got that really autumnal feel, and he's like the grumpiest bastard in the world. And it's just like you can't put the character to the music at all but um sometimes you know art has strange creates strange um alchemies and things you wouldn't expect i'm just gonna say no one can be as grumpy as steve do you want to do that question jonathan question number three yeah um so what are some this is from andy pool um what are some great heavy lyrically or sonically non-metal albums the holy bubble by the manage would be my would be his pick Lyrically and lyrically and sonically, it's a bleak, uncompromising, and unrelenting album, which would be alien to anyone who knows their post. Um, Everything must go, and this is my truth. Tell me yours. Output. Yeah. Well, that was the correct answer. Well, somebody put this on Facebook, hoping that you would answer it, Steve. They actually just wanted you to answer this question because they know that you love the Manix. I do, and that is the. I would say that is probably the correct answer. Um, I mean, I, um, there's loads. I mean, if I'm not allowed to pick the Holy Bible, which I think I probably shouldn't. I mean, for just like for if people are like, man, she preaches, really, and you haven't heard that kind of early stuff. I mean, yeah, I think the Holy Bible is as bleak as anything that's ever happened in music. I mean, the the first line on the first song talks about cutting a baby's cock off. And that was a single as well. I mean, it is unbelievably bleak that record and if you are thinking it's going to be if you tolerate this and you know um design for life like you really need to check that record out but i have done other three they said oh you could probably be a three hour long podcast talking about that album i've done two hours and 50 talking about that album before so uh you can go and find that somewhere else if you like and um but for other ones i mean skeleton tree by nick cave is i've been listening to a lot recently that is <sighs> that is hard work. It's the after the death of his son. Yeah. So, so he'd recorded the music before he'd record. He'd written the songs beforehand, but he recorded them afterwards. And I just remember, like you know, when everyone got that record when it came out on Spotify or whatever, when you first got it, and you're waiting to play it, everyone was just going, taking deep breaths, like, "I can do this. I can do this. I can do this," and just like going into it. And it, oh god, it, it's. I mean. It's bleak, but it's beautiful, and you know yeah. there's there's some kind of work into it. It's not the you know the, the um it it's not it's not kind of bleak by the end of it. It's stark, it's stark, but it's some, it's allowing something to grow within it. And uh, so I, I wouldn't call that bleak in the same way that um, Holy Bible is bleak. No, absolutely not. No, not at all. Uh, it's just yeah. very, very challenging, difficult to listen to. People, you might not, this might be unexpected, but actually the Manic Street Preachers were um, a really, really important band for me, like on a really personal level. So, um, 
Yeah. So because I knew I knew so I knew Richie and Nick, Richie Manic and, and Nikki pretty well, actually. Um I reviewed them live for Mold Magazine Major Maker, around the time of Gold Against the Soul, or before before that. Ended up talking all night with Nikki, uh while in the hotel about our diff- completely opposing ideas of of you know music and communication uh, but we kind of met totally in the middle and it really and that conversation really made me rethink um my whole approach to life and writing and i got and actually i got much better for it um and i yeah, became uh, i became yeah really really kind of really obsessed with the manics after that you know really into manics anyway um and I interviewed them nikki and richie around the time of God Against the Soul, did a major big piece for another magazine called Lime Lizard, um, which weirdly I bought in Ideas of Queer Theory, but that's a whole other story. Um, they just seemed to fit what they were doing. And, you know, everyone totally got the wrong end, you know, a lot of people so totally got the wrong end of the stick about the manics, about, you know, just this very, um, this very reductive idea of what working class means. And um, you know, and you know, and they were like so well read, and you know, they were just re- they were just such a fascinating, intelligent band. Um, for me, the bleakest record, other than that, and I probably got talked about this a lot, is "Holy Money" by Swans. Like, mm-hmm. like nothing I'd ever heard before. Just so devoid of hope, like just melody, just this abject grind and it that was another record that changed my life and just absolutely like horrified me and chilled me to the core when i first heard it um and became that did actually become a lifelong obsession that band after that uh but that's like and that's and that's that, but, but that's like not just the bleakest but physically the heaviest band that's probably probably the heaviest record you'll ever hear and it's not a metal record there's industrial and, and no ways in there but it's not a record metal, but it's, it's heavier than like pretty much any metal record you'll ever hear well, um, I, think, I think that the idea that metal is the heaviest quote-unquote type of music i just i don't i don't think it is i mean you mentioned no wave and industrial and you get kind of avant-garde i mean there's an album again something if you want to listen to something which is sonically punishing rather than kind of lyrically bleak or whatever. There's an album that came out from a, a, an American beat poet rapper called More Mother that came out um, a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember the name of the album off the top of my head. But, I mean, I listened to that and it was just, you know, that kind of ambient avant-garde jazz thing. It can be so sonically punishing, far more sonically punishing than, you know, a deathcore band doing loads of sub drops or whatever. I mean, I think something like The Drift by Scott Walker. Yeah. Such a, like, head fuck. And you get this kind of, like, you know, experimental electronic artists who can make noises which will just decimate your hearing. And, you know, and a lot of kind of horrorcore and hip-hop. And even, like, the first Plan B album, there's a song called Sick to Death on the first Plan B album. Now, I know Plan B, like... A lot of people were going, what, the guy who's on the Brits and he was that zoot suit, you know, the defamation of Strickland Banks and he became a pop star, that kind of like zoot suity, Amy Winehouse, soul musician for a while. But that first album is is, is really confrontational. And there's a song called Sick to Death on it, which is as horrible uh, lyrically, like one of the most sort of repulsive feelings that you get from him and it's all about censorship and it's all about like the power of an artist to be able to say the things that they want to say on a record and he deliberately goes out of his way to be really controversial and it's 
really, really, really striking. Um, mm. And like Caligula by Lingering Nota, I know a bit like Swans is probably more in yeah. the metal world than the And Germanic Atlas as well. Yeah, and yeah. And I, I think stuff like that is, you know, will always be heavier than just a thrash band. Yeah. The, the other really, like, one of the heaviest live bands I've ever seen was a band called God back in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and they were like anything up to 10 people on stage, two, two drummers. Um, uh, uh, the main guy, Kevin Martin, who's now actually weirdly gone on to fame as The Bug, which is this huge, big kind of dance hall, you know, sort of dance producer. Um, mm. And he's, you know, he's kind of really famous. But I'd go and see their gigs, and literally, like within 10 minutes, uh, 80% of the audience would just, would just flee. Um, I remember like seeing him at an old venue in, in Angel called the Powerhouse, and there's these really long steps down to the um, down to the toilets. And I remember going out for going out for rehab after about ten minutes of just like, and just like the, all these really deep long steps were just full of people taking refuge, and anyone inside it just became Lord of the Flies. You know the people left. I saw him at a festival in Holland called Tegentown, and some guy, it was so primal, um, so groovy, and this wild saxophone going through. And this guy came on stage and tried to throttle the singer. And I remember like we were chatting to Mark the next day, we were just like, what the fuck happened last night? It was just this weird, like the gig beforehand just seemed like this weird fever dream. Um, so they're probably hard to find on Spotify. They're called Gods, but there's lots of bands called God. Um, but they, he did a thing with, uh, it's also really heavy, the thing with a uh, project with Kevin Martin. Oh, sorry, Kevin Martin did a project with, um, uh, Justin Bordrick from Godflesh called Techno Animal, and the last album, which sadly isn't on Spotify, it it's so it's kind of hip hoppy, but the beats are so bass heavy that it actually can make you feel physically sick. I hate music like that, Jonathan. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, I hate feeling sick. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say that if you're looking for a really good God record, uh, probably you can find it on YouTube called The Anatomy of Addiction. And it's this real kind of body horror. There's a song called Body Horror, or the song's called On All Floors. On All Fours. They have a song called Fucked. So you can see where they're kind of coming from. Really smart, interesting guy, um, uh, Kevin Martin. And he was at the center of like all the kind of industrial stuff in the late 80s, early 90s. He put on a club in Brixton, where it's the first time I saw Godflesh in 89. And it's the first time I saw Oxbow, another really fucked up band that's not necessarily metal, but just like you're watching them and like, what the fuck? uh so yeah I'd, I'd go on youtube if you can't find it anywhere else and look for the anatomy of addiction it will blow your mind to this day and it that came out uh i can't remember what year it came out now but um 894 i think it came out and um it's it will, it will blow your mind today well i picked Bowie's black star and i know you guys like yeah. that as well um, yeah i'll ever really understand everything in that record but it's very heavy emotionally and obviously he passed away two days after it was released mm. Yeah, yeah that, yeah. that and Skeleton yeah. came out within about six months of each other. I think they're two of the, like, for major, major, major artists, those are two of the most um, just very, very difficult, challenging, weighty records that you'll hear from a yeah. superstar artist. Yeah. Yeah, like, like genuine art. Mm. We have a question from Tom Farrow. He says, as it's been discussed several times, deadlines for album of the year being around now, 
why does the magazine not do the album of the year stuff after Christmas so the list submitted can include all the albums from the year? Good question from Tom. Yeah, why, why am I having a pick in October? Come on, why? <laughs> well, yeah, it, Jonathan, you're a news editor, so um, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, it just, it's, I mean, you know, because I used to work for a week and obviously you could do it much quicker, but you want the uh, end albums of the year to come, to come out, you know, that year. You can't, you can't, you, can't, you know, it, it becomes too retrospective if you do it in the new year. In the new year, you're spending a lot of time talking about what's coming up in the new year. Totally. So, so and I want to say this as well to everyone who ever sends in records, like we work really far ahead. So, um, so, so, you know, you know, I need album promos two months in advance of their release date. And so it, it takes a while to get everyone's, you know, for people to actually think about what their votes are, because we need to run it in the December issue. It just so happens that, you know, our December issue comes out on December 10th, which is quite early in the month. So it's 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 literally just the um, the logistics of putting together a monthly magazine that you have to work ahead. And in the same way that, you know, people um, email me and say, can you review your album, just put it out. And just like, Think about this logically. You know, how long does it take? You know, I've got to send it out for review. I've got to. Um, someone's got to write it. I've got to sub it. Um, we've got to lay it out. This takes. This takes two months. Um, so, it it does really suck that there may be a few albums towards the end of the year that we can't always get. All that might have done better. I think Solstice might have done better in our albums of the year. Not giving too much away. Would done even better if it had come out a bit earlier. Um, I agree with you there. It's like it's just the way we have to do it because otherwise it'd be January and the moments passed. And also personally, I really like to just sit around and listen to them all over Christmas. We're lucky enough to get sometimes like a week to 10 days off at Christmas when the office closes. And obviously there's probably no office closing this year. <laughs> our houses can close, our desks can close, but then you can just sit around and just sit down with the top 50 and listen to them all and, just absorb them all and that's a really nice thing to do i think at the end of the year yeah i um yeah i i, I loved i, I mean I, I discovered so much music my as a, as a kid what reading other magazines top 50s but i also think that our top 50s every year they're really they're a really good cross-section of, of what's gone on the year uh this year's will be very much so as well you know there's a lot of people things people wouldn't expect um and that's the thing it's just like it, it's like the top 50s are really important i think it's one of the most important things we do how we how we write the blurbs and you know there's a lot of things you know i think a lot of people and i used to because I, I used to do this uh, i'd read a i'd read a review in a top 50 thing i go out and buy and i discovered and that's how i discovered talk talk uh, well, 50 uh, will be out on december the 10th as jonathan mentioned so put that in your diary slash calendar slash wherever you write your dates maybe you write them on the wall in blood i don't know why not yeah. do that pick it yeah, up it's like, it's, yeah. it's like it's, it's like all the best things in the world it's like it's not necessarily predictable you, you couldn't necessarily predict everything but once it's there it makes complete sense well jonathan oh it's the same name as you jonathan scott anderson asks where does the podcast crew stand on gore as far away from the scuttlefish as possible. <laughs> as far away from the fake blood as possible. Well, that's just, yeah, that that was that was the late Odus Orangus's prosthetic, humongous prosthetic penis. I do that was yeah. the audiences, and I saw them um, back then. And I remember that. Yeah. Refer to it in all the interviews as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so I remember I remember seeing them back then, and this this were, again would have been in the nineties. And I thought for the first fifteen minutes that was this is the greatest thing in the world. Um, and then in the next row, I just I kind of you, you kind of just got used to it. And but their audience was lit was the most scuzziest audience I've ever seen. Just massive ranks cider crusties. Just <laughs> I am surprised. Yeah. <laughs> But I think I think you know they're like they're really they're, you know uh, there was they're such smart people and I love you know and you know they didn't give a fuck about outrage um, but they were also trying to make a point like when you see um, spitting image now it's just like you know they're putting their punches a little bit because they're, they're scared to offend too many people uh, and maybe you're not making the point you should make um, and you know. They were really great at being really offensive, but you know, to be offensive, you have to be actually offended, and they, you know, they were. They're, they're making they're make, making some really important points, but just done in a kind of grotesque space aliens from space uh, scatological way. Um, I think you know I wouldn't necessarily listen to the records, but um, I remember that kind of movie they made, which was really good fun, and you know, massive gross out in the way that early, um, but you know, like that bad taste movie was early. Peter oh, yeah. used to love that movie with the explosions and things. Yeah, and then he went on to produce uh, Lord of the Make Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Steve. Yeah. So, yeah. Um I don't re- I've not really given them that much attention to be honest in my lifetime to be honest. They're a bit of a blind spot for me. I I I know I've seen them live. I think I saw them at download in fucking hell, 2011, 10 or 11. Uh, yeah, 11, I think. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and it's a great show. I've also seen Empire Records again recently, and they're in that. And one of the characters in Empire Records gets eaten on stage by Guar. I think that would have been the first time that I ever saw them. I remember being like, what the fuck is this? Um, yeah, I've... I don't really have a strong opinion on Guar either way, to be honest. I'm kind of glad they exist. If they do still exist, I'm not sure if they do. do they, are they still? Yeah, yeah, they have a, they've got um, they've got a release coming out. But obviously, you know, the guy Odorous passed away, mm. and um, so I forgot the name of the woman who 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 fronts them now. Right. Or the she creature that that fronts them now. I've forgotten. Yeah. But my mother, my, 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 so I've interviewed him. As odorous and in his actual guise, and you know, very different people. But my other favorite odorous moment was um, in my old magazine. We used to um, used to have a uh, a feature called Barbari- Barbarian Wrath, where we take someone to the crowbar and ask them completely random questions and get them to rant about stuff that was absolutely, you know, just totally, totally random. But we we did that with Guar in makeup, so we had a picture of Guar walking down uh, o- Oxford Street. Um, or Charing Cross Road, uh, from behind with his arse sticking out of his trousers. <laughs> Just what everyone wants to see when they're going to do their shopping on the main street in London. Just what everyone wants. Yeah, 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 yeah. Coming out, coming out of um, uh, Starbucks, and yeah, seeing seeing Odorous, Odorous's arse. Well, he wants to take the very last question. Uh, yeah, I will. Uh, ben yeah, will. Ben Wilmot says, if you were appointed the god of rock and metal for one day, don't know who the current god is, but 
um what is the one thing that you would change i would personally ban drum solos oh yeah oh when anyone caught using a backing track the audience is allowed to throw tomatoes at them um not so fussed with the backing track thing we spoke about fever 333 last week and yeah they have a backing track a lot a lot of backing track and whilst i would never say that you should use that i don't really mind that much if people use a little bit of track uh the jump i'm much more the drum solo thing yeah been that it depends who it is 100 percent though i think there are some i'm fairly maligned i you know because you would do drum solos and that's amazing exactly i was going to say that massive one that mario did when they at the beginning of lockdown when everyone was doing the streams and gajira did their gig from red rocks and mario did a drum solo and it was just like this is insane this is inhuman and it's in the most amazing setting it just looks amazing like i really enjoyed that but if it's just some drummer who's kind well, of from a band that you don't really care about no maybe you should have to get your drum solo license so mario yeah. danny carey brand Daler, they <laughs> can all have their drum yeah. solo license. Uh, mayhem have drum have a drum solo and that's amazing i think when people think of drum solos they probably think of some like some like you know prog bod just pissing about on drums on on about 50 different drums and but but they can still be like really primal um, i always want to see dream theater with two other bands i can't remember who it was now i was quite excited at the time and they did a drum solo where it's the three drummers from all the prog bands together on stage on three kits and that was kind of cool but if you hate those bands you would have been like fuck this yeah with I, said, I can still panther doing a drum solo it's like no no know, that belongs with the era to an extent doesn't it yeah but no one wants you know like if you go and see that i mean that sort of thing you don't want a drum solo like i saw bon jovi once and they and all of them got a solo i'm not here to watch you do a solo they probably I? thought you were a diehard fan steve <laughs> so I, I i tell you what i would change like for, for a day or two with drums um, and I don't mind them occasionally, but I get rid of triggers. Oh, okay. Like double bass triggers. Um, just, just I've been to festivals where, like, you know, extreme metal festivals where everyone is doing, like, every single band on the main stage had triggers. So it's just, you know what triggers do? They just basically, whatever you do, it will give the same kind of beat. But it has this really mechanic, inorganic sound. Um, and it's it just... It just can take like in the case of bear muffins it work it works kind of well because they've got this, this very militaristic sound but um i just I, you hear too much of it and it's just the same you know and it's this really flat kind of slightly flat metallic set flat mm-hmm. automatic, um i know what you mean i get too much of it and so i went to this festival and then i and then um i went downstairs to the second venue and then i'm a threat we're playing and they play faster than pretty much anyone else and no triggers. I was just, oh my god, an organic drum sound. So, um, yeah. I'd also anyone who does clean, like, also I'd stop everyone doing like for for, for like a month. Like, stop doing clean, um, growly vocals in a metalcore way. Just like, <laughs> you know, it, it. You know, it's just, you know, for if, a if month, you met, I'd stop that for a month. Yeah, at least. So people have to think about how not, you know, not to. Because if you met someone like that, you're just like, whoa, 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 I'm really angry about this. And then they start whining. That's the most passive aggressive person. You'd, you, you'd run a fucking mile from that person. That's like, that's literally the, that's literally the definition of toxic male personality. Of just like being really angry. 
whining. I don't yet, think so for that reason. And, it, and it's, they do it almost like a checklist, but it's literally the definition of toxic male personality. And uh, so I, I'd get rid of that. I don't think they do it for that reason. I think they do it to convey different emotions and almost as an instrument at different parts of the song that require clean or unclean vocals. No, it's just become, it's just become an absolute cliche that bands do without thinking about it. And you know they do think about it because when you interview these bands, they have nothing to say for themselves. <laughs> Controversial. I, I would also like what I'd actually like to get rid of is people um, referring to bands who've had twenty to twenty-five year old uh, year long careers as kids bands. All mm. uh, oh, you're covering oh, you're covering Megadeth. Oh, what is this like tweeny hour or something? It's like like one. What's you know? Aren't children allowed to like music? Is that a bad thing, is it? If a young person likes something, it can't be very good. Fucking ridiculous. And two, when people were like, oh, you know, teeny bopper music like Slipknot, Slipknot have been around for 25 years. Yeah. Even if you got into Slipknot the day you were born, you could be uh, like... Yeah, I, in I've your never heard anyone say that. I mean, I've never, having said that, and then I'm not obviously not talking about Slipknot, I've never heard anyone say that about Slipknot, but there are... There, you know, there are a lot, we don't really cover them, but there are a lot of kind of like bands that were sort of in the metal world that were basically trying to be boy bands. Yeah. They were going down that route. And I mean, like it, in the early 2000s, like like it's just like the end, end of Animal Farm where the pigs become the um, the things, you know, they were supposed to be against. So um, uh, that's an observation. It's, it's it, you know, it's not my world. It's, it's not something I'm super condemning. But it's it's just I just find it it's just something I find weird and can't get my head around. Well, you know, you know kind of like R and B vocals and stuff. Yeah, but that's was... a bit of genre mixing. If, if it kind of, but you know, if you mix, it's just like, but if you're mixing something that is totally antithetical to what metal is about, you know, like I said, it's it's just that kind of Spotify generation of. Picking a bit of here and there, everything, and and just like sticking in because what what you've been listening to, which is the exact opposite of what we're talking about, what soul stuff you do when something's actually in your blood, and it's and it's been allowed to percolate there for a while. Um, I don't know why we keep talking over each other. This podcast, there's something in the air or the water or something. If I was god of rock and metal, I think I would want to improve accessibility a bit as well. I'd want to make it like whether it's physical access to venues or providing sign language interpreters. I think there's some like bands or venues or festivals in the States that are a bit better than us at that because you see people like the very famous in video of like Lamb of God being interpreted. There's a couple of those that are really cool and just kind of opening up gigs for people and women's merch as well. I really want to change that because the amount of time you just get stuck with the men's T-shirt and it's like, I don't want to wear a men's T-shirt. I want to wear a woman's T-shirt. That's really frustrating as well. I'd change that. Uh, I'd also like to have more snacks at gigs in case I get hungry. <laughs> if I was the god of rock and metal, I'd be like, yeah, I've had a couple of drinks and now I want a piece of cake, so can I have that as well? Just saying, on state, like like a sort of bakery uh, yeah. in a bar. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be good. A little bakery and you could get like a cake uh, or like a muffin. I wouldn't trust their cakes. What's that? Certain venues, I don't trust their beer. I wouldn't trust their cakes. 
Yeah, but you still drink from them, though, don't you? So I don't. I won't drink from the tap. Really? I'll get. I'll get a bottle. I won't. I won't take anything on tap. Well, then maybe they could have cut some cakes in packets, then, so you'd know where they came from. But you could have you know, metal cakes. You could have little cake that says six 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 on it, or you could have like you know some black ice cream or something. I re this. I realize this is just my fantasy, but I'm the god here, so I can do what I want. Hmm. I picked so, up your point about um about merch, by the way, Helen. I have to say, you might only be able to get the men's t-shirts, but they're such shit cuts of t-shirt. It doesn't matter what you are. You're going to look like a frumpy old, I'm talking about myself now as well, frumpy old piece of shit. Because they're awful. The t-shirts are fucking awful. So I would say, bands, stop using Fruit of the Loom and Gildian. Cheap shit. Do a good one. The reason I buy Metallica t-shirts from H&M and from Top Man is because the cut of the shirt is good. And I don't care. And, it, and then I, apparently I'm a poser because I don't want to look <laughs> or the T-shirt's too tight on me. Like, come on. No uh, one wants to feel strangled by the neck and have those really long arms that make you look no. like you're not even a human being. No. Um, and also don't, like, and the, the whole thing of like buying T-shirts from uh, shops and stuff is just like, let people wear it. If someone wants to wear a bloody Rolling Stones T-shirt and they don't know that they're even a band, who gives a shit? It's just a fucking T-shirt. Yeah, I agree. Maybe they'll listen to the band afterwards, or someone else will listen to the band. You never know. I would have to say that, like having cake at a stand-up venue, is a would, again that would be logistically a bit difficult. You're just not thinking imaginatively enough. No, but you're gonna you, people. You, you're, you're gonna hold, hold hold your paper plate up. You're gonna you be trying to put a fork cake in your mouth, and someone's gonna bump into you. and You're gonna stab yourself with a fork. We have a plastic spoon. What kind of cake are you eating? I was thinking of chocolate brownie or a bit of bloody um, Rocky Road. Or something. Cake. Well, yeah. I've, been, I've been to gigs at the Union Chapel. We can get cake and ice, like I saw Vodruna at the Union Chapel, and that's, but that's a sit-down venue. And you get cake and ice cream and coffee. And as a change, that was pretty good. I don't know if I'd want cake at the Underworld. Cake in a packet. Cake that's already been made in a packet. Yeah, I don't know. Right, that's what I'm saying. I'm the god, god of rock and metal, and we're having cake, and that's the end of the podcast. So, <laughs> and again, if anyone wants to send any cake, we haven't got an office right now, so you can't. But maybe Thank next you. year, maybe next year, you could send us some cake. We'd enjoy that. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll be back next week. And Merlin will be back next week from his adventures, probably in his house because it's a pandemic. And we'll have loads more exciting things to talk about. Goodbye, everybody. See you later. Goodbye.